the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. So I had an interesting conversation today with uh, someone who added a little bit more texture to the whole Jason Mead trial, the uh, Franklin County Sheriff's deputy who has since retired, who was uh, not convicted last week, hung jury. Uh, the sources that I have talked to tell me it was it was really hung. It was like halfway split between those who thought Jason Mead should be uh, found guilty of something, an unjustified shooting of Casey Goodson and half who said, no way. And the alternative jurors who were excused from the case were also in the not guilty camp. But you can set your clock by this. Jason Mead will be tried again because that's what they do in Columbus. They retry police officers. They don't retry civilians. Uh, Does anybody remember a case where a civilian was indicted and exonerated in court either by a mistrial or a not guilty? Well, you couldn't try him again if he was not guilty. But by a mistrial, and uh, they they tried him again. I'm, I'm open to it. Send me a headline. Send me a link. You have to go back a ways. Because the prosecutor's office under Gary Tyak is exceedingly woke. They don't even prosecute people who are on tape breaking into locations, get in their own car where the license plate is visible, and they drive away, and nothing happens to them. Eh, prosecutor nudge. I'm not sure. I'm not sure they're guilty. There is a democratic mindset out there that it is racist to hold people accountable for crimes. Remember the Sammy Sasso shooting on campus at Ohio State? All-American wrestler, four-time All-American, national runner-up a year ago, four times All-Big Ten. Sammy Sasso, what was his crime? Oh, he got out of a car and was approached by two black youth who had records in the teens in arrests. Was Sammy Sasso, like, packing a bunch of NIL money? Was he driving, like, a fancy Mercedes? No, he was driving a Chevy Malibu that was, like, seven years old. And he just looked like somebody whose car you could take. But you had to disable him first. And so why not shoot him in the belly and leave him on the street to die? Did anything happen to those two kids yet? Of course not. Because that would be racist. This is not just a Columbus and Franklin County prosecutor's mindset. This is a national mindset. We spent a lot of time yesterday on the murder of Lakin Riley, 22-year-old, University of Georgia nursing student. Is it hard to say, wow, our border policy must really be screwed up. If we're letting people into our country, they're arrested twice, including one endangering a minor, and we turn the idiot loose from authorities in New York. He goes to Georgia, and I'm just out of deference to the preciousness of this young woman's life i'm not going to get as graphic as i could about how he killed her but here's katie porter of california a member of the u.s congress talking about well you know it's tragic but 
Well, I think when a horrible tragedy like, like this happens, I think whenever we're dealing um, with violent crime, there is a sense of outrage, of sadness, and of loss. But I think the important thing to focus on is any one instance shouldn't shape our overall immigration policy. Any one instance shouldn't shape our overall immigration policy. Are these the same people who told us that we needed to shut down the country and everybody needed to wear a mask? Because if we save one life, one life, it's worth it, right? One life. If we save that, it's worth it. But on the border, eh, it's not worth it. Dr. Phil on uh, Jesse Waters last night explaining this psychological phenomenon where you have to play but if when somebody gets murdered on the border and why Democrats can't just say what the rest of us know is obvious. I think people are afraid to take a position on this because if, if they take a position and say we should control the border, then they're labeled as anti-immigration. We're not talking about uh, immigration. We're talking about illegal immigration. We need to all stand up for this country and stop apologizing. Stop apologizing from have a, for having a border that's not a turnstile. Amen. Amen. It's not racist to have a border. Okay? To have, we have legalized immigration. How many countries around the world don't have legalized immigration? We do. Oh, we're a nation of immigrants. Yeah, we're a nation of legal immigrants. Or we were until Joe Biden took over. The Democrats act like this is a one-off, right? Oh, Eric Adams, oh, we need the authority to hold on to this guy. Because, of course, it's not our fault. It's not Alvin Bragg's fault. It's not my fault for putting out there that we're a sanctuary city. Come. It's not Joe Biden's fault for in a debate saying, come, surge, surge to the border. No, it's not their fault. Never their fault. They're doing everything they can. Here's Muriel Bowser. She's the mayor of Washington, D.C., I had a guy earlier this month in D.C. who shot three D.C. cops. Hold on to your hats. You're going to be stunned. He was in the country illegally. Muriel Bowser, her response, we're a sanctuary city because we know that our neighborhoods are safer and stronger under these policies. No, they're not. Why would illegal immigrants think that they have to obey the laws of this country when they show up at the border and we hand them phones and plane tickets, and bus tickets, and if they can make it to Eric Adams, New York, he'll give them a $10,000 gift card with no vetting at all. None. It is crazy, but thankfully not every Democrat is completely enslaved to this mindset. The mayor of Dallas is a guy by the name of Eric Johnson. Eric Johnson. He's black, but he's not a Democrat anymore. Here he is talking with Ted Cruz on the Verdict podcast about why he's changed from Democrat to Republican. It's way more complicated than, you know, there was this one thing that happened and I just said, I'm out of here. It's an evolution for me in, in just kind of coming to accept who I have always been and why I've struggled as a Democrat the whole time. The, the issues were a manifestation, a policy manifestation of problems I had been having with the Democratic Party because of who I am as a person for a long time. Okay, so I'm interested in that. Who are you as a person? Are you allowed to be who you want to be as a person? We've seen, how many blacks have we seen? Villainized, demonized, 
because they don't share the unfettered allegiance to the Democratic Party. Joe Biden, remember? It's the Charlemagne the God. You know, vote for me or Trump. If you don't know whether to vote for me or Trump, you ain't black. Well, here's uh, Eric Johnson, the mayor of Dallas, now Republican, telling us who he is as a person and exposing the fact that being a Democrat is not a political affiliation. It is a religious affiliation. I was born in West Dallas, very poor community to working class parents who never went to college, but, you know, got married right out of high school, still married to this day, raised four of us. And I was raised in a community that was very, and in a family that was very, very faith oriented. The church was hugely important to us. I mean, I grew up, I spent more time in church than really any place else. I mean, we'd go to church Sunday morning, stay almost all day, go home for just a couple hours and come back for Sunday evening. Yep. We'd go to Bible class on Wednesday. So I spent a lot of time in the church, I spent a lot of time um, with grandparents who were very, very, very about the Church of Christ, and that's how that's the tradition I was, I was raised in. And so we were sort of taught and it was, it was separate and apart from anything political. My family wasn't political at all. No politicians in the family. I'm not even sure we had a real awareness of what was going on around us politically. But a very strong sense of just right, wrong. Um, you know, this is how you treat people. This is, this is how you behave. You follow the law. You obey the law. You work hard. You, you know, an honest day's work, honest day's pay. That, is sort of, that was just always in the background. And so... I think I was always politically in a weird posture with the Democratic Party because at its core, and I didn't understand this at the very beginning, because, and I, I hope we can actually get to this and talk about this, there are some, you sort of inherit the Democratic Party as a cultural heirloom when you're African-American in this country. He goes on to talk about the criticism he got for leaving the party, and he compares it to the criticism that he would have gotten if he did something else. That's next. So an interesting interview between the mayor of Dallas, Texas, Eric Johnson, and Senator Ted Cruz on Cruz's podcast. Uh, Johnson switched from the Democratic Party to the Republican Party. He's African-American, and he says that I uh, grew up in a Christian home. And he found that the longer he was exposed to Democratic Party ideals, the less they landed in harmony with his personal beliefs. And what really caught my ear when I listened to this was the reaction that he got when he announced he was no longer going to affiliate with the Democratic Party, including from people that he went to church with. Here is uh, the continuation of Dallas Mayor Eric Johnson's comments to Ted Cruz. I was always politically in a weird posture with the Democratic Party because at its core, and I didn't understand this at the very beginning because, and I, I hope we can actually get to this and talk about this, there are some, you sort of inherit the Democratic Party as a cultural heirloom when you're African-American in this country. Yeah. It sort of gets handed to you as part of who you are. I probably had more phone call I know I had I had more phone calls 
with people distraught about this party switch than I ever would have gotten if I had told people that I was actually leaving the church. There's no question about it. There's no doubt about it. I will say that loudly and on the record. I had more panicked phone calls from people genuinely concerned about what I was doing and why I could, how I could do this than I would have gotten if I had said, I just don't think I'm into this Jesus thing anymore. I just don't think I'm not a Baptist or I'm not a Church of Christ. Or I'm not, I, don't, I don't think I would have had anywhere near the same reaction. It's that cultural. That is an amazing, well, let me say an amazingly depressing statement that more people would call him and dress him down and question his integrity, his character, his authenticity for changing from Democrat to Republican than he said would have called him had he left the church and denied Christ. You know, something stuck out in my mind when I heard that. Years ago, while I was working in Cleveland, I had the opportunity to speak at a prayer breakfast. And um, prior to me getting up to pray for the segment of our culture that I was tasked with praying with, praying for, there was a black pastor who had a pretty large church in inner city Cleveland. And he prayed the most conservative prayer about, Lord, help us not to, you know, use you as a crutch, but to get out and work and to not like claim victimhood, but to really apply ourselves and to take Colossians 3.23 seriously, do everything as unto the Lord. And I was just like, I was blown away by that prayer. And I said to one of the organizers who afforded me the privilege of praying that day, I said, does he preach like that on Sunday morning in his church? Like, does he say those things in his church? I was really hoping to hear yes. And the response I got back was, no, he needs to be really careful when he's in the pulpit at his church because many, not all, but many of the people who go to his church are black first and Christian second. That the ideals of the Democratic Party, like he talked about, it's a cultural, you know, it's something you inherit. You grow up, you inherit it. That their allegiance to the Democratic Party is harder for them to break than it would be for them to leave the church. Wow, which is super, super depressing. Uh, Here's the final comment uh, from Dallas Mayor Eric Johnson. The family and friends was well-meaning, but I think a lot of other folks, it was just you know, we have to, we have to take this guy down now. And it got, it was, it got to be pretty quickly this, this, the traditional standard partisan warfare stuff. But the fit was almost in some ways inevitable. It was going to, there was going to be a problem. Because at the Democratic Party's core, who I was saying, is a belief that how things turn out for you in this country are largely determined by things that are outside of your control. Yep the race you're born, the neighborhood you're born in. It just kind of, it excuses away your failures and it excuses away your successes to something that's out of your control. If you're successful and you're white and male, it's because of course you are. And if you're unsuccessful as an African-American, it's well, the deck was stacked against you. 
And I just wasn't a person who ever believed that, and that wasn't how I was raised, and that's not how I was taught, but it was the pol overarching political philosophy of my, of my party. And there was always just that tension between wanting to tell people, hey, this actually is a country where anything you want to do, you can do, and I'm living proof of it. Yep. Because at every turn, if I put the work in, I was told repeatedly over and over by people who didn't look like me, who didn't come from my community, we're proud of you and we'd like to give you more opportunity. I wasn't having doors slammed in my face the harder I pushed, I was having more of them given to me. So the, the, the story of my life and then the rhetoric that my party wanted me to put out there as the justification for what we were doing politically just never really matched. And so this is what courage looks like. People ask me all the time, well, what can I do? I feel like the deck is stacked. There's nothing I can do. Now, what you can do is, I always, my, my response is always the same. Refuse to sit idly by when things are said or things are done that you know are not true or not right. It can be as small as saying, I'm not going to put this in my email signature, it can be as small as at a corporate seminar, getting up and leaving the room when they start down the road of, you know, if you're white, you're evil, or you're this or that. Or we have to do equity, we have to disadvantage somebody. It can be that small because no small step loses its power because the people around you, trust me on this, you're not alone. There are people around you who want to do it, and they're just waiting for someone else to do it. In this gentleman's case, that is what courage looks like. It might look different in your case. But how do you know that the Democrat ideology is a religion and not genuine? They always talk about, like, reproductive rights, right, and caring about kids and, oh, Trump put kids in cages at the border. Well, we all know Obama put people in cages at the border. We all know Joe Biden used a drone to kill, like, innocent kids in Afghanistan, trying to cover up for his botched withdrawal of Afghanistan. Listen to Dr. Phil yesterday on The View and how Whoopi Goldberg fights back on what we now know was stupid policy to keep kids out of school. COVID hits 10 years later, and the same agencies that knew that are the agencies that shut down the schools for two years. Who does that? Who takes away the support system for these children? Who takes them away and shuts it down? And by the way, when they shut it down, they stopped the mandated reporters from being able to see children that were being abused and sexually molested, and in fact sent them home and abandoned them to their abusers with no way to watch, and referrals dropped 50 to 60 percent. So, there was also a yeah. pandemic yeah, going was, on. They were trying to save They were trying to save kids' well. lives. Remember, we know a lot of folks who died oh, you during do not this. Either. It wasn't, people weren't laying not around eating bond, but, well, you know what? We're lucky. Maybe we're lucky they didn't. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.